Hello and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, coming to you from Reach, the people behind the Newcastle Chronicle and Journal, Manchester Evening News and the Hull Daily Mail. If you want to know what's going on in Northern politics from a Northern perspective, you're in the right place. I'm Northern Agenda editor Rob Parsons and after a hectic two weeks of conference, why don't we take a break from party politics and get into an issue that could be transformative for the future of the North. Not everyone has good memories of studying maths and science at school, but a supply of graduates in the so-called STEM subjects, that's science, technology, engineering and maths, is vital for our economy. Leaders in business and education are wrestling with the problem of how to get young people, and particularly girls, to engage with this subject to fill the high-skilled jobs in emerging areas of the economy. And if they succeed in the North, it could help level up the country and bridge that North-South divide. The question was, in fact, on the agenda this week's Conservative Party conference in Birmingham, where a fringe event asked the question, what do we need from science in schools? And so it's great that on the Northern Agenda podcast today, I'm joined by two experts from different fields and with strong links to the North who are aiming to tackle just this problem. Carl Ennis is Chief Executive of Siemens PLC. He's worked in the power industry for more than 35 years. Originally from Rochdale, he started his career as an apprentice and is an engineer by trade. And Rifat Wall is the principal of Ermston Grammar in Manchester, as well as being a former head of science at Stockport School and a University of Manchester biochemistry graduate. So welcome both to the Northern Agenda podcast. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. It's great to have you on. So, Carl, I'll come to you first. There's no dispute, I don't think, that science, technology, engineering and maths have never been more important than they are now. But from your perspective in industry, how far are we from where we need to be in terms of producing young people who are interested in these STEM subjects and are in a position to take the jobs when they enter the workforce? And also, why, why does it matter ultimately? I guess I've sort of hinted at it in the intro, but why should we care about this? The real task is is all around, from a, a, an interesting perspective in any case, is about decarbonisation. So that's one of the major topics that the, the nation and the world as a whole are all talking about. And there are quite a number of studies out there to give you just an idea of the scale of the number of engineers that we need to start seeing in, in, the, course of, in the course of the next few years in order to have the right competency and capability to deliver the solutions that we need for decarbonisation. And it's in the hundreds of thousands of engineers per year that we're going to need to be able to create. So, you know, to realistically address the decarbonisation and the net zero challenge, you know, we need a lot of, uh, of uh, capabilities that are fundamentally underpinned by STEM subjects. Uh, and and the task is large. I think to to, to your, your other point about, you know, how, how are we doing with this? I, I would say that you know, two things. I think the quality of the, the people that we get out in, in and we see in our organisation in Siemens actually is, is second to none. I mean, we're, I'm really pleased with the quality of the of the apprentices, technicians and graduates that we see coming into our organisation. The challenge is we just don't have enough of them. Um, I guess the other additional challenge to that is is one of diversity. Uh, and the and, and the diversity of thought that we see of students coming into engineering, um, and I think that's something that we, uh, as an industry and as 
as a, an education sector is something we need to put our minds to. And, and it's not it's not just about ticking a box or a, a new a mathematical uh, ratio that we need to get to. This is about making sure that we're able to attract the brightest, the boldest, the most innovative, innovative minds that we can find to solve these challenges that the country faces. Uh, and and to do that, you need that diversity of thought, which does come from diversity of gender and ethnicity and uh, socioeconomic background. So it's that there's a there's a shortage of number, and perhaps there's a shortage of diversity that that really needs to be addressed to 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 fix this challenge we all face. You grew up in Manchester. You made it into this profession. Have some of the barriers been removed in the period since you started? Just, just take us through how you got into. Uh, into this job from what you were doing from your background so yes so I, I, I was brought up in Rochdale and I'm the CEO of Siemens now but I, when I set off and left from school my aspiration to be with, was was to be a car mechanic so I think I've somehow I failed because that's what I wanted to do but but I set off and I left school at 16 education at 16 was not for me and I took a, an apprenticeship route but then was very lucky to have a very supportive uh, employer who helped fund me through my further education, ultimately through my degree, which I took at Manchester Met. Um, so, so and, and then through that point, was able to balance this real world experience with the education I'd gained to position myself. Um, and, and it only took me 32 years to get to uh, uh, to uh, to a CEO level. Some some of our students think they can do it quicker. It is a you know, and um, that's great that they've got that ambition. The reality is, it is it takes time. Is it any easier now? Um, I, I I think probably that that it's. Was it easy then? Uh, it's difficult for me to, to, to comment on, but I don't think it's probably any easier or more difficult. What, what still remains the same is the perception of engineering, which is, is you know, perceive, you know, you speak to, 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 uh, to many in the public and they will see it as, a, you know, hard physical labour. And, and, and by the way, some of it is, you know, um, but actually it's a, also a route in to, to really interesting jobs that are solving today's and tomorrow's challenges that the world faces and, and really involved in, in social uh, uh, change. Siemens got heavily involved with the ventilator challenge when we were at the beginning of the, of the uh, COVID crisis. So we really made a difference using software technology and hardware technology to, to, to do that. And so, so it's, it's sometimes we don't paint the real opportunity of engineering and as employers, that's my task to do that. And I need to do it better. And, but it's, um, you know, I think uh, making it a, an attractive place to, to come and work, I think, remains the challenge. It was a challenge then and it, and it still is now. So, Rifat, would you agree with what you've heard from Carl there? What's your observation from your many years in the education sector? I think the reality is is that, that sometimes people have a very narrow view of what engineering is about. Uh, I, think, I don't think they fully understand that there's a whole raft of different disciplines within engineering so you can go you know you can go down the civil engineering route you can go down the chemical engineering route you can go down the mechanical engineering route and actually understanding that breadth in the engineering sphere is actually quite difficult for some students to understand i think as schools we are we are getting better at doing all of those things because the careers advice that students get i think is much more proactive we want students to make informed decisions today um, in our school we're doing a work related learning day with our year 11s and there's a whole raft of employers in school talking to young people about the possible 
careers that they can do. Now, some of those are STEM based careers, but there's a whole raft of other careers as well. Uh, and there's a whole um, there's different engineers who are actually talking to the students today. Um, but, but again, <laughs> Our students, they've, they've got to be scientifically literate. They've got to understand the world around them. So whether they choose a STEM career or not, they've still got to have an understanding about how science impacts on their lives. And I think the, the kind of the lens of COVID has really kind of um, made students and the general public understand that they've got to have that scientific literacy if they're going to make informed decisions about what they want to do in terms of their own health how they can actually look after themselves and their families, how they can actually look after their society. So I think that that's a big issue. Um, the most popular A-level in our school is A-level maths. The most popular A-level in the country is A-level maths. So we've got a whole hundreds of thousands of students every year actually doing A-level maths. Some of them are going on to do STEM based degrees at university, but they are then being siphoned off into the, the financial markets and they're being kind of lured by much more lucrative careers. And we've got to think about, well, why is it that, you know, in the 34 years that I have been teaching, um, the same issues about getting girls into engineering, it was an issue 34 years ago and it's still an issue today. So while schools can do a lot, you know, working with employers is incredibly important. I think we've also got to look at well, why is it that in our society, in British society, society, we don't seem to put the same value on certain types of careers or we try to pigeonhole people too much and say, well, actually, that's not for you. Uh, I'm going to channel you in that particular direction. Again, in schools, what we tend to find is we have lots of students who want to be doctors, dentists, vets, because it's subjects that they, it's careers that they know about. But what they don't know is all the other careers that are out there as well that can be equally rewarding. And I don't just mean financially, but, but you know, rewarding in terms of the challenge that they can actually give to those young people. So, yeah, I think there's no easy answer because I think we would have solved it by now. I guess it's like many of the problems that we discuss in relation to the North. There's a, a lot of uh, different factors that go into them. You can't just wave a magic wand and wave them away. So Carl, Riffat was talking about how it's not just down to schools and the businesses need to work a bit harder to show people the types of careers that could be available in these industries. Presumably that's something that you at Siemens are doing a fair bit of already. Could you be doing more in that regard? Well, I, I, the answer to that is, uh, Robbie, so we can always be doing more. We have in recent uh, years been been trying to, you know, use technology and be innovative about how we engage. And a, and a couple of examples. I mean, the first one is a programme called See Me that we did with the Girls School Association uh, and Fran Scott of the BBC. And this was about bringing engineering to life about you know you know experiments in you know watching experiments live seeing an engineering experiment making it uh, 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 you know understandable and interesting and that's been really you know we've had some really great feedback from that uh, and another thing actually is something we've stumbled across so we 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 talk and rightly so about the challenges of covid um uh, uh, but there are there are 
I'm, I'm an ever, forever an optimist, right? There are silver linings to every cloud, however dark and gray it is. One of the things we found is is um, the, the use of, of technology for communicating to each other, as indeed we are today here. Uh, and we found that actually we couldn't do our work experience, obviously, like, like we used to, where we'd have people in. And, and so we, we created with partners um, a virtual work experience. And I, it did a couple of things that were, were very interesting. First of all, it allowed us to gain access uh, to give access to lots of students uh, very, very easily. It, it, it also allowed them to get more access to more of our employees because they were, you could do it in bite-sized chunks. But more, more importantly than that was the sorts of people who actually attended. Now that now the students are registering, they're giving you a little bit of data about themselves. Uh, you can start looking at that data. And we saw two really interesting trends actually was that a significant increase in the number of girls joining the work experience programs that were into impact. In fact, it was more girls than boys joining uh, the programs, which was uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, and also the percentage of ethnic minorities uh, who were joining was also up in the 40%. So 40% of the students were, were of an ethnic minority who joined the, the uh, work experience. And, and neither of those cohorts cohorts had we had we act been able to actively engage when we were doing uh, in-person uh, work experience so there's an example of something that we stumbled across through necessity but actually we're going to keep it because actually it really did give us access to to cohorts of students that we are desperate to but weren't able to before thank you so Rifat, talking of utilizing technology and so forth i think when we spoke in birmingham after your session at conference you were talking about how social media is quite a good way of illustrating to younger people the benefits of going into stem industries is that something that could be happening a bit more rather than just the more traditional methods i think any kind of platform that young people are actually engaging with it's important that we actually then use those platforms to actually share that particular kind of message so absolutely i think ultimately we we can't create a system that engages students if we're not actually in the places that they are they are in and they are taking notice of so yeah absolutely um i think one of the other things that um again is you know, I think the virtual world really opened up lots of placements for young people. It, it was remarkable how um, lots of different industries were able to kind of to do that for young people. And I think carrying that on is, is incredibly important. But again, you know, it's those also those those real face to face interactions. Um, I work with STEM learning and the Enthuse partnerships, and many of those are based around um, certain companies who are working with them with a family of schools and students are getting some hands-on experience and they're, they're actually getting to know um, people from STEM industries and they're finding out about what those jobs entail on a kind of a day-to-day -day basis and they're doing real-life projects with them. And I think that really helps in terms of persuading students that actually there are other things out there that you possibly can do that you might not have considered before. Obviously, this is, to some extent, a political issue, I guess, as most issues are, which is why it was being discussed at a party conference. Have, have either of you seen much from government or political policy making in general to try and solve this problem, or would you like to see more? Well, the government actually released something called the Research and Development Roadmap in, I think it was 2020, and it talked about the shortage of 
um, STEM workers. It, it was something like 150 odd thousand people that we were short of. And the worrying thing was, was nowhere in that document did it really talk about science education in school. And I think that's so short-sighted. If we are going to grow a workforce that are skilled in STEM areas, then we can't just bring people from abroad and, you know, import people and say, okay, they've been trained, they have, you know, they have a much more diverse workforce in terms of gender, etc. But we'll we'll bring them to to our country. We've we've really got to think. We've, we've got to grow our own if we're going to sustain um, sustain this in the future and, and actually benefit the uh, economy, not just of the south but of the north as well. That's true. I mean, Carl, from your perspective, is there a, a regional aspect to this? You're talking about how there's a divide in terms of socioeconomic status for people who are likely to do STEM subject, which perhaps suggests that it's something that happens more in some parts of the country than others. Is that the impression that you gained from your years in this area? So um, so Siemens is, is pretty much well well represented in many of the, the, the areas of the UK. So and and it would I don't think I def I don't think I see a a, a, a solely uh, geographical uh, uh, it only happens in the northwest or the northeast and and not in the southeast you know we've got facilities on on the coast uh, and and it can be just a cha- as big a challenge to to recruit in the southeast as uh, as as it is uh, as it is uh, around i do think you you know it, it it is true though in all of those areas you know where uh, there are uh, different levels of uh, of socioeconomic uh, performance, and, and we do struggle in all of those areas to recruit from the lower ends. That's that's absolutely uh, a, a truism. I guess the other thing I would have picked up on on your on your earlier question, Rob, around the what can governments do, and actually in in the in the, in our panel we talked about uh, one thing I took away was, and I probably should have known this before. My uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law are both teachers. And one thing I'm always amazed at, and and it probably only drew my attention because of the conversation, was just how time poor teachers are, and and t- time to learn themselves, to train themselves, to develop themselves, to to uh, you know en- encourage. I think that is is something that perhaps we need to think of as a country. Are we giving our teachers time to do the best job that they? That it's possible, as opposed to just doing the best that they can because of the set of circumstances that is they have, and is there a policy that the government could could step forward with there, perhaps? And the other thing I would say from a, a policy intervention and a government intervention is the difference between the higher education, the stability we've had in our higher education system in the UK, which has been very static for you know for for many years, versus the volatility we see in in the the failed attempts at trying to produce a robust and strong further education Uh, and the latest version of that from an engineering perspective are the t-levels i actually think the t-levels in principle are a great idea and we've engaged on on the creation of some of those courses but actually what i worry about is the knee-jerk reaction to you know some the next person who comes along and then throws that all away and starts again And, and that's a little bit true of much of political policy at the moment uh, is that, that there is no long-termism given, given to it. And I think that's that's also something that, that perhaps could be done better in the further education part of the process. I guess you're right that that is a problem across politics, isn't it? So we've not got too much time. I just wondered if you could, just for people who might be listening, who might be considering a career in science or engineering, um, they might be perhaps tempted to go and 
work in finance or something else that's maybe a bit more lucrative, how would you sell it to them that this is the career that they might want to go into? Rifat, what do you say to the pupils at Ermston Grammar when you're trying to persuade them to go down a particular route or do you, do you leave it up to them? To, to be honest, I don't try to persuade them to go down a particular route. But what I do want them to understand that there are choices and it's important that they make informed choices. And again, don't just fall into the trap of thinking, um, OK, the vast majority of our children go on to university, but actually the vast majority of young people in the country once they've done their A-levels of going on to university, um, more and more are thinking about the apprenticeship route. Um, More and more high quality apprenticeships are out there. And and it's kind of getting them to understand that, yes, think about that next step. What's What's the right next step for you? And as a school, I think it's important that we create opportunities for them to find out as much information as possible about those careers so that they can make the right decision for them. If that's a STEM career, fabulous. But if it isn't, that's also, you know, great. It's got to be the right thing for the for the child ultimately, or the young person. And Carl, what about you? So I, I would I would agree it's not for everyone. So so and I agree it is about make being aware of your options in order that you can make a choice. I think that's now having said all of that, I'm a salesman, so I'm gonna sell it to you. And and I and I would say it's it's first of all, it's the variety of, of what and Rifat stole uh, uh, pointed out earlier about just the breadth of engineering is huge. Right. And almost everything we engage with on a daily basis, an engineer or a scientist has had a finger in the pie somewhere in that. And so so the 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 breadth to get involved in is is huge. And we are fixing today's and tomorrow's social challenges, right? You to fix decarbonization, to deliver digitalization, to to make people live longer. These are all engineers and scientists actually that are at the heart of of, of discovering and developing, you know, innovative techniques techniques and capabilities in the UK. So so how can you not want to be uh, uh, part of that? And and actually, you know, they're good quality, uh, uh, long-term, stable, well-paid jobs. And there's an opportunity if you're really, really lucky uh, and you just happen to, to, to navigate through that you can find yourself running a, a, a several billion pound, 16,000 people organisation by accident. Well, that's a pretty compelling argument. Almost makes me wish I'd got into that myself and taken a proper job rather than getting into journalism. So, well, that's great. Thank you so much, Carl Ennis and Rifat Wall. Really fascinating insight into what's going on to get our young people into science, technology, engineering and maths. So thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast and don't forget you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and it's produced by Daniel J. McLaughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Also, check out the other laudable podcasts. See you next week. Bye-bye.